So you know what's good about being the last session? So I can go as long as I want, right? Yeah. You got it. <laughs> oh, the teenagers. No. All right. <clears throat> well, last session. Building up, finally. The purpose of our life in relationship to what is the kingdom. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We'll get started. There was a man who survived Auschwitz, German camp, and as he was reflecting on his life post um, this concentration camp and what he had engaged in, he made this observation that when humanity lacks purpose, it entertains itself to death because it has to fill the void, right? And it was an interesting observation on his behalf. And what I'm finding in my own heart, in my own life, and in my own ministry, and the men that are around me, that we would agree on the gospel and the law, what we had just talked about. And we would agree that there's a lot of things as believers we need to do. But we have a hard time attaching a purpose to them and say that this becomes the purpose of our life. Um, if we had an explosion at a plant nearby and uh, there were people in there suffering and burning and we needed to get them out, uh, do we have a clear line of focus at that moment, right? Disaster centers are focus. Um, wartime, have we seen this? 9-11, we've seen this. Uh, we have a clear present danger. We have people who are suffering and we want to provide safety and relief. And at that moment, a lot of things just don't matter anymore. Right? It just don't matter. You know, that next episode of the Netflix show, it's kind of like, I don't, I'm going to watch that. You know, who, who's, who's winning the you know, Detroit game? Um, that doesn't really matter. And what's interesting is that as Christians, we've allowed ourselves to be distracted by that which doesn't matter. And we don't really understand what the purpose of our life is. And again, if we're going to go back to the tactics of Satan, he doesn't need you to pursue something that's wrong or sinful. He just needs you to get you off your game so that you aren't pursuing that which God has called you to that has significant eternal value. Right? We've replaced what really matters with what we find fascinating or interesting. And we will not only engage it, but we will dedicate our time and emotions and money and we will sacrifice anything that gets in the way. And even justify sacrificing it. I've been fascinated. Uh, last year I preached a series on prayer. Because I was, I've always been confused by prayer. Um, everybody likes, as soon as I said that, there was like a knot in several of your stomachs, right? Like, oh, prayer. <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's a good Baptist phrase that everyone hates. Hey, how's your prayer life? Like, first of all, what does that even mean? Prayer life? I, like, where in the Bible do you hear, like, prayer life? What the, what, you know, it's, it's that question. So, like, how, what, what makes you feel justified in answering that, right? You're like, yeah, you know, 30 minutes a day, I'm feeling great. I mean, well, I mean, 30 minutes every other day. I mean, well, if I combine all my meals, I guess that's 30 minutes. Sure, my prayer life's great. You know, it's like, we don't know. But a lot of this, guys, your prayers are definitely, it's connected to your understanding of the gospel, your relationship with God, and your purpose. <laughs> right? Like, dear God, I don't know if I have the strength to do this today. But if you give me the strength, I know I can make it. 
Do you realize that every prayer in the Bible, if you combine it, it might in like it might come up to like ten minutes? <laughs> we just don't understand the concept of it. And, and prayer is the greatest act of dependence. This is not even in my notes. This is all free and extra bonus, gentlemen. So if you want to give me a tip later, you can do that. But when we think about God sending us into a war, He's sending us into a battle that we are not capable of fighting on our own. And he says, that's okay. Every single day when he says the Lord's Prayer, what's the very first thing he says? Just remember who you're fighting for. You know, hallowed be the, praise be our king. Hallowed be his name. What's the second thing he says? Remember the purpose of your life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not, not, not my will. Every day, remember who I am and I am worthy. And then remember what your purpose is. And remember whose will is being accomplished in that purpose. And then after that, he goes, now, now, now I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for your forgiveness. I'm going to provide for your needs. And do you ever wonder why he said, and lead us not into temptation? This is a fascinating statement. Because it says Jesus doesn't tempt anybody. Why would he do that? And if God has the capacity to keep us out of temptation, why would he not do that just like naturally? I won't keep you out of temptation unless you ask me. That, that seems weird to me. Kind of mean, God. That's what he means. What he's saying is keep anything that might be good for me, but could cause me to trust it and tempt my heart to trust that good instead of you. Lead me away from that. Lead me away from that which my heart might be tempted to trust outside of you. Prayer is the greatest act of dependence, right? Well, that concept, of the kingdom and prayer led me to where I am today as far as talking about the kingdom of God. So what's interesting is that at the end of Jesus' life, he dies, he raises from the grave, he spends multiple weeks with the disciples. And look at uh, Acts chapter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking to them Here's what's fascinating. If I didn't give you the passage and I asked you to answer the question, speaking to them about what do you think you would have said? How many of you would have actually got the kingdom of God? Isn't that fascinating? The last 40 days of Jesus' life, he spends it talking to them about the kingdom of God. I'm like, why is it that we miss that? And my answer is, Because Satan's good at what he does. He doesn't need us to deny Jesus, just what matters to Jesus, right? And what he'll do is he'll put us under law and make us feel good about it. Well, at least I'm not cheating on my wife. You know, I haven't murdered anybody in the last 41 years. Good job. So he pulls him over and he says, men, I need to talk to you about the purpose of your life. Because what does Jesus tell them in Matthew 6? Seek First, the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes up on the cross and they scatter. He's like, okay, you didn't get it the first time. So I'm going to take 40 days and tell you the second time about this. Okay, we're going to explain this. Everything I said to you while we were walking around for three years, let's start over. Okay, let's concentrate this down so you understand. This is by Gordon Fee. I think this is um, it's a, it's a, it's a gut punch, but I think we're going to deal with it. You cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but this is the greatest failure of evangelical Christianity. 
We have had Jesus without the kingdom of God, and therefore we have literally done Jesus in. When I read that, I was so ashamed. I was like, he is so right. Jesus kept talking about over and over and over this concept of the kingdom. And we are so, it's so foreign to us. We don't live as citizens of his kingdom. And we have this, you know, when we think, because uh, um, you won't raise your hands, you can do the whole head nod thing for me. Uh, when I mention the kingdom of God, you think the new heavens and the new earth, yeah? That's typically what we think of. Well, yeah, the kingdom's coming. When Jesus comes back, he'll bring the kingdom with him. And so we're anticipating the kingdom of God. But we don't think about the kingdom of God as present right now in our life. Now, there is some of that that's happening, and it's confusing, as if we're trying to turn this world into the kingdom of God, and that is a massive mistake. We are not turning this world into God's kingdom. Literally, what does Jesus say to the leaders? The kingdom was not of this world, because if it was, my, my men would be fighting. It's not of this world. So, I think we're going to do a real quick look at, just so we can grasp just how much of the Bible is about the kingdom of God, and then we're going to relate to that to everything we've talked about and our purpose. So what do you need for there to be a kingdom? Just logically, you have to have the location of the kingdom. You have to have people to rule, and you have to have a king. Right? It's pretty simple. So can you see this pattern in Scripture? According to Jesus. Yes, you can see it. Right? Jesus is, anybody shocked by Jesus as king? Oh, I've never heard that title before. We use it all the time, right? King Jesus. It's like, you're just talking like kings have to have what? A kingdom. And if there's no people in the kingdom, it's not a kingdom. It's a big brick building. That's all it is, right? So we just, we don't think about it in those ways. We don't think about Christ being literally the kingdom, uh, us, uh, the, we the people in his kingdom. So we're going to run through scripture because you can see how it's described, right? So the law, the Old Testament, you have the reviving hope of the kingdom. So you have creation, the fall, and you have the promise of restoration just right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. What are the prophets foretelling? They're, they're using Israel as a nation, as an illustration of something that's greater. And the prophets start talking about a greater kingdom, a greater nation, right? You have the writings, which is the life in the, king, in, in the kingdom. You have the gospels, which is the embodiment of the kingdom. How many times does Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like? It's so much so people are like, hey, how do I get into that kingdom? Which is the last lesson, right? How do I get into that kingdom? Can I earn my way in? He's like, no. There are no unrighteous in my kingdom. Which is great news, by the way, for us. Because we live in an unrighteous kingdom now, and it, I hate it. I hate it. I've been a pastor long enough, and I've seen so much vile and filth, and you've all seen it. Some people call me a pessimist. I'm like, I'm just a realist. Let's think about this, guys. You're going to get old. Your body's going to fall apart. You're going to die. Doesn't that sound great? Can't wait, man. Oh, and people are going to hate you back, stab your back, and it's probably going to be painful all along the way. Everything is beautiful. <laughs> I think it was high when he wrote that one. Acts and epistles, kingdom community, and revelation, the achievement of the kingdom. And you'll see this flow throughout, because the whole Bible is the story of God's redemption. He's redeeming his people as king back into the protection of his kingdom, right? We're, we're missing the connection of it here. 
So for the rest of our time, we're going to look a little bit about the teachings of the kingdom, and then we're going to relate this to how this should motivate and become our purpose so that we can uh, go from, I think, I don't know about you guys, but there are often times when I think about how painful life is and how hard life is, and, and there are times I wake up and I'm like, I don't know if life is worth this. That type of living, that's not the way Christians are called to think. We don't think in this way. So we live what's called the upside-down nature of the kingdom. The upside-down nature of the kingdom. Uh, this is Luke chapter 20, uh, 17. I'm going to just be shotgun passages at you. For the sake of time, you might want to write these down. Uh, but in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20, he says this, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So even the lost world around Jesus understood that Jesus was talking about something that's coming. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that you can observe. Uh, this is so powerful, gentlemen. He's saying the kingdom of God is not like normal kingdoms where you'll be able to point to it and say it's right there. This is why when we project the gospel of the good news of our king, and Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it, because everybody's like, yeah, we'll prove it. Where is he at? Well, I mean, that is the atheist, right? Like, well, show me God exists. And Jesus says, it's not the way in which you can observe. So right away, if you think you're going to come trumping out of here, out of this sermon, and be like, all right, the world's going to know we're a part of the king. They're going to look at you and say, so where's your king again? He died? Bro, this sounds like a video game, man. What do you mean, like it's invisible? You got invisible friends too? Oh, his name is the Holy Spirit. He lives inside you? Bro, you've been checked out? That's the point, right? John 3, 3, Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, man, I used to love this passage when I was in college ministry and doing apologetics with them. They would like come after me about how crazy I was to believe in this message. <laughs> and they would get so offended. I was like, oh, it's, you're, not, you're not able to see it. As if I was uh, insulting their intelligence. Like, you're not smart enough. I said, oh, I didn't say you were smart. I said, you were, you're blind. And they're looking at me like, I said, technically, you would have to be born again in order to understand it. You know, I'm like, just playing with them on purpose because it's kind of fun. And they're like, what? I said, no, listen, if you want to know what I'm talking about, I can try to explain it to you. But the only way it'll make sense is if I explain to you the gospel. They were just getting asking me about creation versus evolution or about Noah. I'm like, look, we ain't going to talk about that. It's like trying to, trying to explain the Kayakana to a blind person. So you want to see it? Let me give you sight. You can only have sight unless you have the gospel. So you guys, you're going to be walking around talking about, I, I follow this king, and this is an amazing kingdom, and everybody in the kingdom is righteous, and it's beautiful, and it's, and it's wonderful, but you can't see it unless you're born again. Are you starting to feel this a little bit? There is a sense where you have to embrace the insanity of it. You have to embrace the insanity of it. This is why at times Jesus says, look, your family are, is not going to understand this. And they're going to they're abandon you because they're going to think you've lost your mind. That's the insanity of this. So Jesus does give us a description of what the kingdom looks like. So there's the upside down nature of the kingdom, which is that it's invisible. But for us, for us that can see it, this is what it looks like to us. This is, again... Uh, John 17, sorry, Luke 17, 20, if you look at verse 21, 
It says this, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, and this is important, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or another way of translating that is among you. Um, When the king is in his kingdom, or another way of wording that is the kingdom is wherever the king is, right? It's not the physical location, it's the one who's ruling. And the point of what he's saying is that the king is in you. Therefore, you are the representation of the kingdom to the world. And this creates a different attitude while living in another kingdom. So we're in the kingdom of darkness, but we are bringing with us the king and the kingdom of the light because he's within us. If you want to write this one down, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So listen how he's describing. He's like, you don't belong here. You're travelers. To abstain from the passions of the flesh which, which war against the soul. In other words, don't get entangled with this kingdom. You're just traveling through. Don't let it trap you up. So the way in which the kingdom looks is different for us. But this is, you guys ever, um, I experienced this this weekend. I've had the opportunity to talk to many of you, but especially when I had the opportunity to sit down with the pastors. It's like this immediate, I'm immediately drawn to these pastors. Because there's this kindredness of like, I can feel in them what's in me. I can feel it. Like we both love the king and we love everything about him. And we like talking about him in every way, struggles and strife and glories of the gospel. There's this kindredness that draws us to each other. And Paul even describes this about how there's this beauty of the body of Christ when it gathers together. There's a spiritual unification that happens. Literally, it's what he says in Ephesians 4, that it builds us up into love. And then there's, Jesus is describing the benefits of the kingdom, which is very important for us. We're not just walking around like crazy mad people. Jesus is like, there's actually a benefit in this world of being a part of my kingdom. This is John chapter 16. We'll look at John 16 and 14 if you want to turn there. Jesus describes that, um, would you guys describe this world as a world of peace, freedom, and joy? Yeah, let's describe the term of freedom for a second, right? I love that word freedom because we really don't want freedom. You know why? Let's say we're all free to do whatever we want. Think about that for a moment. I don't want you to do to be what you feel like doing. I don't like that kind of freedom, right? That's not true freedom. That's prison. It's the strongest person wins. But in God's kingdom, freedom doesn't look that way. Doesn't look that, that way at all, right? So John chapter 16, verses 33. Verse 33, look at me. I have said these things to you about the kingdom, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But take heart, I will overcome the world. Now, all of us long that wrestling within our soul and our heart. He's like... <laughs> I've overcome that which you are worried about. There is peace. When you come and you rest in me and you trust in me and you trust in my ways, that peace you're longing for, you will have that. Just turn a couple chapters back to John 14. This is Jesus describing he's about to leave. He's getting ready to ascend to the cross in that preparation. He says, verse 27, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace 
I give to you, not as, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isn't that fascinating? He's like, the chaos of the world around you, don't let that frighten you. Because I'm about to give you something the world cannot have. Because why? It's, as Luther said, I was just having this conversation, it's in bondage. There's no freedom and peace. How does Paul describe it in Ephesians 2? We were slaves to sin. You ever met a slave who's like really peaceful? Only if you're a slave of Christ. <laughs> but when you're a slave to sin, there's no peace. It's that constant reminder of just how horrible you are. And a war, a constant war. We're not in that war because Christ is victor- victorious. I mean, you guys know this phrase, right? The sun sets, the sun, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. There is no longer that war. You, you live in that constant peace. We'll write this one down, Romans 14, 7. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy. Oh, that's so good, <laughs> right? I, lo- I love how he says eating and drinking because that's what we try and use to find peace and joy, right? Some of us try harder than others, like me. We try and find that peace and joy by physical means. He's saying you cannot have peace and joy by physical means, not in this kingdom here in the kingdom of darkness, but in my kingdom, you can have righteousness, peace, and joy. It's important that he says righteousness because we want to feel safe and accepted. And so he's saying, in my kingdom, you will have that safety and acceptance because it's granted to you. You don't earn it. You, you, you don't earn God's favor. It's every child of God in his kingdom has the inheritance of Jesus and that inheritance is righteousness. So good. All right, here's point number four. We're making some good progress here. Then how do we live in the kingdom? How is it we are called to live in the kingdom? So Jesus calls his disciples, this this description he gives them is super radical. By the way, you you do not want to live in the kingdom of darkness with these rules. You probably won't make it very long. Like when he says, love your enemies and turn your cheek. That's bad. You're going to end up dead or poor or both, right? Um, That doesn't work in the kingdom of darkness. This is why we have laws and regulations but in the kingdom of light it's very different very different he says in the kingdom of light or in his kingdom you don't have to chase after money you don't have to chase after protection and wealth look turn to me to matthew chapter six probably one of the most famous passages on the kingdom right we'll spend some time here for a little bit matthew chapter six so he's describing to the disciples, I'm guessing that when he spent that 40 days right before he left, this is what he's revisiting. He's like, all right, gentlemen, let me go back to what I told you. Back when I was teaching you how to pray and depend upon me. And that's how I'm giving you the purpose of your life. Let's revisit this again. Because in your own strength, you all abandoned me. <laughs> in your own, in, when you were, because if you think about what the disciples' purposes were, what were they fighting about? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus is like, oh, okay. You're, you're not getting it. This is not about power. This is not about prestige. This is not about wealth. 
Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's like, the, the economy and the way in which the world works is different. Don't do that. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust or dis- destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, where, there your heart will be also. We know this, Right? Uh, I, it's easy for me to find out what you value. We, we protect it. <laughs> we protect what we value. And Jesus is saying, there's nothing in this world that you need to protect and value. So like, uh, are you going to take your bank account with you when you go to heaven? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're going to take that cool bod you got with you? To, no, you're not taking no bod with you. <laughs> what about that social media following? Hey, guys, check out this Instagram page. That works with youth. It doesn't work in here. So. No, that, that is his point. He, he, and it's hard if, if you don't understand everything that Jesus says about, like, joy and peace. Because it, that, that's not threatening. He's just saying, hey, look, just, just realize where you, where you find your rest and where you find your peace and your joy, that's where your heart's drawn to. He goes, do not find that here. Don't find it here. There's nothing here. I mean, we've all been there. Gentlemen, do you know why we keep going back to the same sin over and over again? You know why we do that? Because we believe a little bit more actually might work. Just a little bit more. We'll be satisfied. You know, Mr. Rockefeller said, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Right? Just a little bit more. We've all felt that. And Jesus was like, that's the lie. That's the lie of the kingdom of dark. But if you live in my kingdom, you have everything that you need. This is why Paul finally said, look, I've learned how to live with contentment because whether I have a lot or I don't, it doesn't matter. My purpose remains the same. It's really hard to believe that. But if you understand and embrace what Christ is saying, then you can. This is why, look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For you either hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. What's interesting is that um, the longer I love Christ, the more I hate what goes on in this world. I really do. It destroys people. It utterly, absolutely enslaves them. And so when he says you can't serve one or you'll, you'll love the one and hate the other, I don't hate people. Okay, I don't hate people. I just hate what this world does to people. That's what he means. You either love what the world loves and you're going to have a hard time with Christ. Or you're going to love Christ and go, this world is not my home. It just, it just utterly chews up people and spits them out. So this is where we go. We finally get to the point where, how do we find our purpose? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Spencer, remind me we, we go till when? Till I'm done? My heart jumped for a second because I thought it was 11. I was like, oh, no, we're not even to the good part. <laughs> you got these weird 15 things just throwing me off. Like in my church, it's like 30 or, you know, on the dot, you know. Let's stop messing with me. I just, uh, constructive criticism. So I love, I love. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, okay. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. It says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ in making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Think about that. The king says, the king of the universe who created you, <laughs> he says, I want you to represent me. Wait a minute here. Me? No, me? You want me to represent you. We don't think about it in that way. We don't, really? I mean, what if, what if I told you I, I, I got up here and re- remove your political hat for a second here, you're, you know, whatever is the side of the line you're going to follow yourself on, and I stood up here and I said, hey, um, to you specific, this church, this exact church, I'm... I'm here to tell you a message from the President of the United States. You'd be like, oh, what does the President want to tell us? That's quite interesting. All of a sudden, there's value to who I am because you're interested in what I have to say. Paul is like, do you understand the value of who you are? You're not a meaningless person. You, You have great significance. You hold the key to life and death. You hold that. You can either live like you do. <laughs> now, some of you are sitting here going, oh, great, now he's going to talk about evangelism. He's going to tell me i got to have tracks and go door knocking. Hold on, just calm down. No. I want you to just stop and understand the purpose of your life is to actually embrace the identity of a representation of the king. Like, I represent my king, according to Paul. Like I am that ambassador. Like, his name is, is his authority is on me. It, it's overwhelming when you think about that, right? Just for a moment. So how does this work sometimes? I don't know if you've ever had, like, you've ever had, like, a, uh, a guilty conscience when it comes to the sharing of the good news of the gospel. I, I kind of want to help us here for a moment because proper identity with proper understanding of our king, with proper understanding of the power of the gospel is going to relieve a lot of this. So this is uh, John thirteen thirty five, famous passage, but I think we kind of just let it go. We don't really understand the significance of what Jesus is saying here, right? He says, by this, all people will know. So John thirteen thirty five, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples when you share gospel tracts. When you go on to Facebook and you let them know your political views. Right? That's all they know. That WWJD wrist gets her done. No, that's all he says. It's actually harder than handing out a track. It's harder than spouting out your political agendas. It's harder than just wearing a t-shirt. It's way harder. I think this is why we revert to other things. He says, the way you love each other lets the world know you're different. You're different. Nah, I think I'm going to head out of track, John. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, man. Which ones you got for me? <laughs> Go love your brother. Ah, he did it to me. That's, that's not a throwaway statement, guys. Oh, what are you teaching? Lifestyle evangelism? No, I'm not teaching lifestyle evangelism. What I'm saying is Jesus told us this is powerful. Unity of the body and affection for one another. See, the world, does the world really know how to love each other? How does the world love each other? You make me feel good, so I'm going to use the word love. Think about it. You describe your wife the same way you describe tacos. I love tacos, and I love my wife, because they both make me feel good. How does God describe love? No greater love than this, 
than a man lay down his life. I don't love because it makes me feel good. I love because I understand the joy of what it represents my king. I represent my king when I love you. The light of my king comes out in me when I sacrificially and selflessly love you. Fascinating. Matthew 5, 16, write this one down. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think maybe Luther ripped off that one when he said, who needs your good works, God or your neighbor? He should have given credit to Jesus because Jesus was the original author of that statement. What did he just say? Your neighbor who is lost needs to see how you live different. Your affections, your desires. It's like, hey man, you don't lay treasures up here like we do. And you're not judgmental like ever the people are. And you're not mean. As a matter of fact, it's kind of annoying how nice you are. It's quite distracting, as a matter of fact. I would do better if you'd be mean once in a while. It makes me feel better about myself. Because well, you know what we do as humans? We compare ourselves to each other. But we, we as ambassadors of light, we don't... I, I'm, I'm the worst amongst the, everyone. What does Paul say? I'm the greatest sinner I know. I'm not, I'm not here to judge you, but can I, can I tell you why I act this way? Well, I, I live for a king. If you let me, I'll tell you about him. Because you, you're going to want to glorify him too. You're going to want this. <laughs> That's not a throwaway statement. You're not obeying God because it earns favor with God or earns rewards or it's a confirmation of your salvation. It's like, I want to go out into the world and I want to live different because I'm hoping someone's going to notice it and they'll glorify God with me too. You're not going to be real prideful when you do that because why are we doing that? Well, my king saved a wretch like me. He saved me, and so he can save a wretch like you too. He can save a wretch like you too. That's outward, but there's more to the purpose of our life, guys. And it's simple. Like, guys, you can do this. No matter what you do for a living, you can do both of those every day in your home, in your community, and at your work. You're like, I'm a web designer. I work for myself. It's like, well... Go have coffee with somebody there. <laughs> you can impact the world by just embracing your identity. <laughs> you're, you're a filthy wretch of a man. And you have a king out of kindness who says, I'm going to love you unconditionally. And I'm going to give you everything you could ever imagine. So don't worry about this world as a matter of fact, why don't you just act like you're an alien? You're in, you're in exile. You don't belong here. If you hold on to that mentality, you're going to be able to accomplish what I need you to accomplish because you're going to let this world go, which is what I really need you to do. And because you're not pursuing this world, you're going to be able to pursue the thing that I need you to pursue. So when you go to work, I want you to love them. I want them to see that you are 
Why do you think, Timothy, why do you think Paul says, hey, be ready to give every man an answer of the hope that lies within you? Because they're going to look at you and say, like, hey, man, what, what is up with you? You're weird. You're weird. And it's true. We Christians, man, we are weird. It's okay. That, uh, why else would Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because we're weirdos. Okay? Embrace the weirdness. All right? It's good. Have you ever, like, listened to how Christians talk? It's weird. You're talking about fantasy things. You can't see God, can't see Jesus. And what does Peter say? Hey, you're suffering, but blessed are you who have not seen Jesus, but you believe him anyways. We're weirdos. We're weirdos. So most people, what they worship, they can see it, right? They worship their body. They worship their money. And the world's like, good job on that. And we're like, oh, yeah, we worship a king you can't see. <laughs> yeah, like, you're weird. I was like, yeah, I know. We are. But there's a second part of this, and it's vitally important so, one, the purpose of our life is we are on a rescue mission, and the, and the easiest way to reflect that rescue mission is the way we love and care for one another, but also the way in which we represent our king to the world. The second one is the one that's rocking my world right now. Part of the purpose of our life is to actually support and comfort our family. And I don't mean your immediate family. I mean God's family. Paul says this, do this and you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is an unbelievable statement. He says, do this and all the law that Christ came and taught us to do, like this is what I want you to do, gentlemen, the whole thing will be accomplished when you do this. Anybody know what it is? Anybody want to take a, take a guess? It's even harder than that. Anybody, anybody know? Galatians 6.2, bear ye one another's burdens. He gets even deeper. It's not just love. It's that when they're a mess and hurt up and beat up. In other words, there's no benefit to you. That's when the law of Christ shines. It's hard to describe the joy of doing this. Because most of the time when you see someone's life messed up or there's some disaster or they have a serious burden, you're like, oh, that's going to cost me. Hey, brother, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Is that what Paul said? Pray for them and you will fulfill the law of Christ. You should pray for them. You should but you also should be there. He says it this way too. Weep with those who weep. Why would he have to say that? Well, because there are people who are weeping. They're suffering. We don't see this as like the literal purpose of our life. Guys, let me put it to you this way. Can we, um, can we remove world hunger? We've tried. Can we do it? Do you think it's possible? Can we remove cancer? Can we remove crime? We try so hard, don't we? We try to eliminate it out of our life as, as much as we can. And there's a lot of great efforts toward it. Turn with me to First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter one. This is another passage that I don't know why, but we as Christians, we should memorize Galatians 6 2. It should be on the tip of your tongue. If I go and I care for this brother or sister, I'm gonna be reflecting the law of Christ, the goodness of Jesus. Right? 
Jesus says, when you offer a glass of water, you're doing it in my name. As if you're offering it to me. It's like that stuff is so disconnected to us. You know why? Because it doesn't have the cool factor. You know, if I got up here and I was telling you about how I like, reached all these Aborigines and I had to like, wear you know, like, the same clothes for you know, three years and I, all I ate was bugs, you'd be like, man, you're an amazing, you're an amazing missionary. And then I bring this guy up and say, yeah, but you know what? He carried burdens this week and he fulfilled the law of Christ. He helped, he helped someone make it through another day. And they're like, that's cool, man. But let's talk about the Aborigines again. You don't see this in Scripture. Where's, where's Paul pointing the average person to? Powerful work. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the Father of mercy and God of all comforts, or comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in, in, in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Like, don't, don't assume that the comfort you've received from your God just remains there. You guys ever wonder why we're still on this earth? Why are we here? <laughs> I ask that question all the time. Peter says it this way. He says, count the patience of God as salvation. The point of it is, is that God is withholding the day of judgment when he returns because there are many who need to receive his comfort. There are many who need to receive his gospel. And so while we are still shining the light to find the lost, those who remain, they aren't to suffer alone. It's like, as you receive comfort from me, go and share that comfort with those who are also suffering. It becomes a part of who we are. When we get through that trial or in the midst of that trial, when we find hope, we don't just stand up and thank God for that. He says, no, take that to your brother. Take that to your sister and love them and care for them. One of the statements we started using at our church a while ago, which sounds so like dark, but when you realize it, it's so biblical. You know what the purpose of a church is? The purpose of a church is to help people die with dignity and hope. How does the world die? Full of Botox and big bank accounts. And they have no hope of the next life. Why? Because they know it won't do anything for them. And so they have no dignity. And they have no hope. And we can be with our precious brothers and sisters and say, I'm going to comfort you. And I'm going to give you dignity. Your treasure is in heaven. And where we hope will not put us to shame. And so I'm going to comfort you with this, and I'm going to give you hope. But what are we trying to do? We're trying to live the victorious Christian life. We're trying to be powerful. <laughs> Guys, we're called to be weak. Weak men. We find our strength in the Lord. 
So I don't care who you are or where you do for a living. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your background is. If you have the capacity to be gentle and kind, you have the capacity to love, then you have a significant role to play in our king's kingdom. Significant until he's done. So he's expanding the kingdom. He's bringing more people in. And so part of our job is to be a part of that. Some, it's going to be proclaiming the word. Some, it's just going to be affectionate and caring and supporting. This is why when he describes the different gifts within a church, there are various roles. I love this. I love this. When, Peter, when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, when the body functions properly, and how does he say it in Corinthians? Well, there's a hand and a foot and an eye and an ear. We, we all have a different role, but we all have the same purpose. And what is that? to love and care for one another, to carry each other's burdens, right? And to give hope and dignity to each other so that the world around us might be drawn to it as well as we proclaim the gospel. So if you walk out of here this weekend, my hope is this for you. And when you show up to work tomorrow, you realize what you do at that work has eternal significance because your treasure is in heaven. And you want everyone around you to know by the way that you treat them and by the way that you work and by the way that you act that your life is far more significant than whatever it is that you do. You're not representing that job. You're going to do it well because that's what Christ has called you to, but you're representing your king. And then when you show up here at church, you're not going to let anything get in the way of your brothers because there, there are people who are suffering. You're going to let these people suffer alone? You're going to really do that. When you have the opportunity to sit down with them and weep with them and rejoice with them and care for them and give to them, you're going to go home and turn on Netflix? Nothing wrong with turning on Netflix, but it kind of gets old, doesn't it? It's kind of like, I don't know. It's like the same story all over and over again. We're trying to find meaning, but it isn't. And by the way, about Thursday, you're going to be going, whew, it's been a hard week. Not quite sure I remember this purpose of my life. Oh, wait, Brother Tim's coming. He's going to tell us about the king. I forgot the gospel. I've forgotten I've been cleansed. I've forgotten I was a wretch. But he's going to remind me. He's going to stand up there and say, There's the king. Remember, this world is temporary. He's coming back. But while we wait, we thus hope. And while we hope, we purify ourselves as he is pure so that we can give the hope of God to the world who is dying. And for those who are suffering and weak and frail, we're going to pray for them and love them. I love how he says it this way. He goes, consider how to build one another up daily. Why would he say that? Because well, we need it. Right? Let the word of God dwell in you richly by admonishing one another and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like we are crazy people. You guys, you ever think about this? We are crazy people. You know what we've been singing about today? A bloody guy. We're all like smiling. We like blood and death. Aren't we? But why do we do that? Because it's his death on our behalf that brings a smile to our face. The guys, the gathered church becomes that fueling station that we so long for. This is why Hebrews says, don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. It's where your hope is. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. It doesn't say when you function properly by disciplining yourself and by being dedicated to yourself, you grow in love. He says when the body functions properly, 
Forsake not the assembling of yourselves, right? Do not allow your mouth to destroy one another. Do not gossip about one another. Why? Because the purpose of the church is then lost, right? This is why James says, hey, confess your sins to each other because it creates inequality. Oh, you struggle too? I struggle too. Let's run to the king. Let's push each other to the king, right? I'm going to confess how I've messed with you this week and I need you to forgive me. This is why he tells him, don't go to the table if you've got a problem with a brother. Why? Because, guys, there's nothing. All right, this will be my last statement because I know I'm way over. I said every Baptist ever. <laughs> What's the greatest problem in our church today? Paul tells us and James tells us multiple times. You know, people are going to say, oh, wokeism. No, that's not our problem. Disunity. Disunity. That's the greatest problem we have. We can't do the work we've been called to do for fighting with each other. Or we don't care about each other. But we see our king. And we see that we're in need of him. And we all do our part to care and love for one another. The message of Christ becomes stronger in us. And we can actually feel good about our life. Not because of the income I have. Not because what the scale says. I'm significant because I've given people hope. And I'm comforting them. And I'm taking them out of the kingdom of darkness. And I'm taking them into the kingdom of light. Father, we are so thankful that you have not left us here to wonder what you want from us. But as you comfort us, and as you feed us, you then say, go and love and comfort others until I return. And when I return, I will make all things new. And I will wipe away every tear. And I will make all things new. But dear saints, while you wait, look to me, the author and finisher of your faith. In Jesus' name, amen.